0: Welcome back to another week of What Barry's Talking About from Barry 360. I'm Dan Blakely, featuring the best of the best this week. We meet Mackenzie Gillen, who works in a non-traditional field for women. She's a power line technician for Hydro One in Lake of Bay's region and has been chosen to compete next week in a lineman's rodeo. We talk with Allie LaLiberty, a dancer from Midland who has made it big in Los Angeles but hasn't forgotten her roots or how hard it was to get a leg up in dance. She's helping others locally get that chance. Some new members added this week to the Barry Sports Hall of Fame. We'll introduce you to them and find out what the future holds for the hall. But first, next week is Fire Prevention Week. We talk about fire safety all the time, so this is a reminder of what every family should consider to make their home fire safe. Our Ian McLennan sat down with Barry, Deputy Fire Chief Carrie Clark and Kate Foster, who recently joined the service as a public educator. What is the
1: theme this year? So the theme for Fire Prevention Week is Fire Won't Wait, Plan Your Escape. It's all about escape planning and making sure that you and the members of your family can get out of your home as quickly and safely as possible.
2: Why is it so critical to have... um, A plan in place?
1: I think it's incredibly critical because you never really know how you'll react in the moment to uh, a fire breaking out in your home. And so the more that you plan and practice, um, it means that you'll be prepared when and if something does happen in your home. So just going over your route helps build up your muscle memory so that you know um, if something comes up exactly how to to escape essentially, and always make sure that you are aware as well as to how many escapes you have within a particular space. So when you're in a room, when you're in your home, you always want to make sure that you have two ways to, to get out. Um, and so going through the the practice and planning of your escape really helps to just solidify that learning for you and your family.
2: And I guess, you know, whether you live in an apartment or a high rise, or you live in a house, it's going to be different. But um what are some of the components to have a proper, you know, escape plan in in place? What are some of the things that you need to do?
1: Identify your two ways out of any room, but always make sure that they're clear of debris, clutter, things like that, so that you can actually exit those spaces safely. Um, you want to make sure that everyone in the family and the household knows where to go, that you have an established meeting place, and that everyone has practiced these uh, drills, so to speak, so that um, you're all in the loop as to what to do should a fire arise and if a fire of course comes up in your space the best course of action is to just get low and go immediately try to get out. You have often less than two minutes to make a safe escape once those alarms go off. So it, it again, you know, I mentioned alarms just now, but that is your first line of defense is making sure that you have those working smoke alarms in your home. And the minute they go off, that you have your route well planned and you can get out in under two minutes safely to your meeting place.
2: And we talk, all, we say fire people, you know, think flames and that. The the thing that's going to unfortunately you know kill them or you know injure them, but there's there's the smoke too, right? Is is because it, it both things?
1: Yes, absolutely. Smoke actually is you know probably what would be the most harmful to you in those situations. And so you have different types of smoke alarms out there that can be triggered uh, based on, you know, flames and also based on smoke and things that would maybe create a smoldering smoke. So it's great in your home to make sure that you actually have both of those types of smoke alarms and always just double check uh, to make sure that they're they're not expired. They're in good working order, um, that you've pushed the button Um, We say do that monthly and change the batteries, you know, the same at the same time that you would change your clock. So
2: now, Carrie, as deputy fire chief, what other planning is necessary when drafting a fire prevention plan?
3: Our residents here in Barrie are very adept at getting out of their spaces, but their abilities change uh, with, you know, of people aging in place with new a newborn coming home. And some people just won't leave without their purse or their teeth or yeah. or their pet. So making sure that you know where uh, that stuff is all the time and uh, training your pet not to react to the smoke alarm is also a very good way to use that practice time. Because if they know that that smoke alarm means go to their human, then it's a lot easier to click their leash on and get them out of the house.
2: Now, in our discussion as of today, there were approximately, I believe, 99 deaths as a result of fire in Ontario in 2022. Um, the fire marshals indicated we're approaching almost a, a record year, and a, almost half of those cases, no work, no working smoke alarms.
3: That's a devastating number to the fire service, and it's the it's the number one priority that we want everyone to to look at their property, look at their living space, and have alarms that are 10 years or less that have batteries in them that have power and that there's smoke and carbon monoxide alarms in the home
2: and whether it's an escape plan or may- maybe the smoke alarms too um i, I live in bay i'm not sure if i've got it right can i call the fire department will somebody come in to look at my house and say yeah you- everything looks good
3: Absolutely. If you uh, give us a call at Barry Fire 728 3199, we will set up an appointment to uh, go to your home and make sure that you're safe in your property. And if there are recommendations that we can make um, to you to make it a safer property, we will absolutely do that.
0: Barry Z Ian McLennan in conversation with Carrie Clark and Kate Foster of the Barry Fire and Emergency Service. Been there done that for La Fontaine native Ali La Liberty, who knows all too well the struggles for young dancers, but has also had a taste of the success as a professional dancer in Los Angeles, working with the likes of Drake, Rihanna, Sean Mendez, Ricky Martin, and more. She's put together a nonprofit called Brass Ring Dance Inc., an organization dedicated to creating safe, inclusive, and accessible dance spaces in small towns of Ontario. Berry 360's Will Conkin did some tap dancing to track her down and find out more. What is
4: Brass Ring Dance and how does it help young dancers?
5: Yeah, so we are a local nonprofit for dancers in small towns of Ontario. We do um, a range of different things. First thing being, we are in the middle of our financial support program, so we assist families with paying for dance fees whether that be dance tuition um competition fees costumes just like getting dance attire shoes all of that dance can be extremely expensive so we try and help families in need uh, we also host events that so we do workshops where we had two dance classes jazz and hip-hop at various locations in midland um, and then we also had a similar seminar alongside that about disordered eating dancing and recovery so of course we want to create dance spaces for young dancers, but we also want to tackle kind of some of the bigger issues within dance. And then we just work alongside studios and the community for cultural structural change. For example, one of our goals would be to make um, dance studios and performance stages uh, wheelchair accessible so that it is accessible to everyone. So we do anything and everything that has dance in it, really.
4: Yeah, what are the biggest challenges do dancers in rural communities face?
5: There's um, various challenges. Definitely um, finances. Dance is extremely expensive, so that's, like, a very big challenge for anyone, really. Dance can be anywhere from, like, $300 to $5,000 a year just for one dancer. Um, Another thing would just be the quality of training. Um, Obviously, people closer to the cities have just access to multiple different teachers and different styles, so that's one thing that we hope to bring, but also just support. Small towns are often very, like, sports-heavy, which is awesome, getting people to move regardless. But when it comes to art, we find that sometimes we don't get the same support as some other activities. So just really showing how important dance really is to children is something that we really want to do.
4: And you're originally from Simcoe County, Midland, correct?
5: Yes, I am from Midland, more specifically a tiny little village called Lafontaine.
4: And did you feel those challenges as well growing up as a dancer?
5: Yeah, for sure. I, um... You know, we, we struggled financially a little bit, and for us, youth dance was like a huge financial commitment. I had to work and pay for any little extra costumes that I wanted, and um, financially, it was just a really big commitment for us, but as soon as I was able to drive, I started going to different teachers um, just to expand my knowledge a little bit more and see what else is out there, so yeah, definitely, definitely felt those challenges.
4: Uh, When did you first launch Brass Ring Dance and how did you know you you wanted to do this?
5: This was actually an idea that I had um, around April of 2022, so not too long ago. And I was like, oh, I think this would be like a really good um, thing to have for dancers in small towns. Not even really thinking that, you know, I would start it. I was just like, oh, well, maybe there is, you know, something like this that I can send to young dancers that I know or, or whatever. So I started doing a bit of research couldn't really find anything that was created to help young dancers in small towns specifically. So I was like, okay. And then I just started doing a bit of research as far as like, Oh, well, maybe, you know, 10 years down the line, I could start one. And just the more research I did, um, the more I realized like, Oh, actually I might be able to do this myself, which was crazy. And then as I started doing a little bit more research, I realized that the support was there and the need also was really there that I was like, you know what, I think if I can sing it now, Why not? So we officially launched in July of 2022. So we're just under three months old now. So we're really new, really fresh. Um, But yeah, I think it just felt like something really aligned with myself. You know, I can volunteer my time and try and help as many people as possible. But yeah, I just, as soon as I saw that the need was there, I was like, well, someone's gotta do it. So I I guess it'll be me.
4: And then uh, why do you feel such a strong passion to give back? And why do you think it's important to invest in youth?
5: I think I just see a a bit of myself in the young dancers, and I know how much I loved dancing and how much it meant to me, Um, that if I can help someone, you know, stay in this industry or stay in this activity a little bit longer and give them that, that love for it or allow them to explore a little bit more. I'm just kind of like, why, why not? <laughs> um, it's just some, sometimes you, you do things where even when I started dancing, I was like, oh, I love this. Like, I never want to not do this. It feels right. I love it. It's amazing. And I kind of had that same feeling when I started and dance. I was like, wait, I don't ever want to not do this. Like, it feels really aligned with who I am. And I just have, you know, sitting at my computer here doing work on budgets or you know press or all the little things i was like oh yeah i love doing this i love working on it and and being able to help people it's just such a a cherry on top for that so if anyone is in need of our services to just reach out um we're here for everyone and anyone that that might need us
4: perfect and can they just go to the brass that's exactly
5: right yeah
4: you can also help
0: support brass ring dance with a donation through that website What Barry's Talking About is a weekly podcast featuring the best Barry has to offer and more. You can make it easy to connect by subscribing to What Barry's Talking About through podcast distributors such as Spotify and Apple. Still to come on What Barry's Talking About, she's a power line technician for Hydro One. Not many women doing that, and not many get invitations to the international lineman's rodeo, but she has one, and the Barry Sports Hall of Fame ponders its future as it names its newest inductees. Now this.
6: While you keep trying to be caller number nine or scratching your way into the Rock 95 birthday bash, here are a few more shows you could enjoy in the meantime. Like October 2nd, Scotiabank Arena, the Who Hits Back Tour is going to be around. And then back at Scotiabank Arena, October 5th, Brian Adams with the So Happy It Hurts Tour. Massey Hall on October 11th has Colin James. And October 13th, they got the Sheepdogs with their Out of Sight Tour. Rama on October 15th has got Kim Mitchell and Honeymoon Suite. And the key on October 15th has Thunderstruck, the ACDC tribute. And you got Practically Petty, the Tom Petty tribute. Meridian Hall, October 17th. They got Jeff back with Johnny Depp. October 24th, over at Scotiabank Arena, it's the Smashing Pumpkins and Jane's Addiction with their Spirits on Fire Tour. November 10th, at History, it's Steel Panther. And on the same day over the Danforth Music Hall, the Blue Stones. November 12th, Casino Rambles got April Wine. And if you want to see any more shows coming to the area, click on that concert page on rock95.com.
0: Rock 95. This is what Barry's talking about from Barry 360. I'm Dan Blakely. I am
4: a lineman for the county.
0: Used to be called a lineman. Now it's power line technician, a non-traditional role for women, but Mackenzie Gillen is one of them. She's working with Hydro One in Lake of Bays and competing soon in the International Lineman's Rodeo. Barry 360's MJ finding out how all of this came about.
7: There's not a lot of women in this trade. Do you think there's just um, misconceptions that people may have about it?
8: You know, uh, there aren't very really many women working in the trade. I think it could be something where people don't consider it as a viable career path for themselves. Uh, I remember the other day, one of my co-workers had told me, um, I was driving one of our bigger trucks to Tim Hortons on our lunch break to go grab a coffee and his daughters were sitting in the back of uh, his car and the drive sale with their mother and when they came home that day they were all excited because they didn't think that a girl could be doing the same job as her dad. Um, just little things like that, uh, trying to promote the skilled trade uh, survival career option for women is something that seems to be lacking a little.
7: What are some of the great benefits in doing what you do?
8: Uh, It's a great career option. It's a very well-paying job. It's something you can take pride in. And it's an earn while you learn opportunity. Uh, Many people attend post-secondary school, which is a great option as well, a great pathway. But oftentimes you're paying a large amount of money to get your education. Whereas skilled trades, they're while you learn opportunities. Usually your employer is teaching you on the job where they have specific training. Um, It's also a job you can take with you anywhere. Uh, In Canada, we have what is called a Red Shield program, and you are are sponsored through your employer, and you complete a portion of theoretical tasks, and every so often, uh, you can accumulate infield hours. You're then eligible to go to a school portion where you're tested and taught theoretical portions, and then you write a written test. So a Red Seal program is something that I didn't really realize was available to me until later on in my high school path, and it's a really great option.
7: I'll have to be honest, I didn't really know much about the uh, Linesman's Rodeo, and that's going to be coming up later this month. Um, tell me a little bit about it, and you're going to be part of it.
8: Yes. Uh, So on October 12th to 15th, Hydro One will be sending 11 of our highly skilled power line maintainers to Kansas City, where we will compete in the International Lineman Rodeo. Uh, The International Lineman Rodeo collects some of the best power line maintainers from across the world, where we'll compete in various uh, types of events, and we'll all be able to celebrate the trade together.
7: What kind of events are held during the rodeo?
8: So during the rodeo, journeymen will compete on teams and apprentices will compete individually. So for apprentices, I will have five different events. One will be a theoretical test and the other four will be practical. Two of them we know and two of them will be mystery events. We'll find it when we get there. But we try to base the events based on skills that we'll do in the field. So one is a skill climb and the other one is a hurt man rescue. So these are skills that we're expected to know and be a out in the field.
7: It actually sounds like a lot of fun. Are you nervous? It's your first time competing, correct?
8: Yes, it's my first time really attending a large-scale event. We did a smaller version at Klineberg, which was a lot of fun. I'm very excited to go, but I'm definitely very nervous.
7: I guess you're just really trying to get the word out that this is a great career option for women. You just want to help them get the word out.
8: Yes, absolutely. Uh, It's a great option for anyone looking for more of an international career path.
7: Appreciate your time today, and good luck when you head over there. Thank you. That was Mackenzie Gillen, who will be competing in the International Linesman Rodeo.
0: Gillen recommends parents get their kids the book, Everyday Superheroes, which explores the world of women in STEM careers, science, technology, engineering, and math. The Barry Sports Hall of Fame inducted the class of 22 this week. More on that in a moment. First, the hall's chairperson, Tom Ewells, tells our Will Conkin, hall directors are pondering the hall's future, where it might be,
4: and how you might access it. What challenges have you had to navigate through during your tenure with the Society?
9: Probably our biggest one was, was trying to attract people, members, to serve on the board. And the bigger, the biggest two big things facing us right now is we're presently housed in the, in the Alm Recreation Center. So we're about a year away of running out of space to um, to have inductees uh, uh, portraits portraits put on the wall and, and be recognized. That was our form of recognition that we would do a uh, painting. Uh, local artists or artists usually would. Uh, we'd commissioned them to paint a picture of them, and then they're displayed at the Amable Recreation Center, and that's been since 1985, I believe. So there's upwards of 90 portraits there. So it's running out of space. That was the first 30 years. The second 30 years is is the change in clients or change in uh, change in residency here because most of uh, most of the residents uh, are now have come from elsewhere, uh, have moved up to Barrie, probably, what, two, three, two-thirds or so, three-quarters of the population up here is not originally Barrie, uh, would probably not be originally Barrie residents and have have moved here, so they're unfamiliar with the sporting history here. But the other one is our community is mobile, so no longer does a, a family, maybe um, uh, a child will be grown or, or born in Barrie and, have his minor uh, or sporting experiences here up to a level where he may be uh, uh, classified as an elite or a carded athlete and then moves on to another organization. The family used to live in town and they would return here, but now communities are very mobile and uh, and a lot of people moving from community to community, so it's getting harder and harder to recognize who who is that sporting excellence in town. And uh, the other one is a lot of that generation, the older generation back in the 85s and and uh, the 90s and early 2000s, the fellows that used to recognize sporting excellence are now aged and, and or unfortunately deceased. So we're losing that history. Uh, we're losing the history of those heroes from bygone years. Uh, and we're looking for obviously people to replace them. And bring some freshness, uh, freshness to our organization.
4: With the COVID pandemic, it definitely threw a curveball for a lot of businesses and organizations. Did you feel like it was good that it was able to make you take a step back and maybe reassess how the Barry Sports Hall of Fame wants to go forward into the future?
9: I, I think it hurt us in terms of a lot of our a lot of our board members were aged, so we lost three or four members uh, through the pandemic. And because we weren't very vocal or, or we had to cancel, we actually canceled 2020. And in 2021, we did a virtual a virtual um, induction ceremony with some uh, inductees, with three inductees. And we're, so I, I think it hurt us in terms of uh, not having an annual event missing for a couple of years. Uh, and as community aged and as our communications, with members sort of dwindled because we'd lost members, it it put us a little behind, I guess, where we would like to be. And uh, so actually this year, what we're we're aiming for in November, in November 30, we're trying to plan what we call a futures meeting, where the hall asking for community involvement, sporting organization, past inductees, award winners, uh, our board members, to To come out and give us some ideas on what what they feel where they feel the whole Fame will fit in uh what directions we should be going and and trying to determine two or three you know short term objectives that we can work towards and and an example very really well may be is as I run out of space uh at Allendale, can we introduce a um an electronic uh an along uh, like a website. In the in the reps in the in the recreation centers, uh individuals can go in and especially the younger ones which are more attuned to electronics, they can look up our members. Uh it would scroll through and uh you know, they can look up inductees, they can look at award winners, uh, which shows a little bit of the history, uh history of the individuals, how they got into the hall. Um our website actually also um, provides that information. But we're looking to get a little bit more, how can I say, interactive, a more more dynamic display electronically we could, uh, as opposed to looking at portraits.
4: Do you feel that um, this new, uh, the 2022 induction, do you think that that event is ushering in a new era then for the Barry Sports Hall of Fame with new ideas, wanting to get new people, and uh, what you guys plan for the future then? Is it ushering in a new era?
9: I'm looking for a kickstart. Um, I'm looking for a kickstart of, of um, like I say, this, I'm, I'm, the, the induction is a continuation of what we used to do, and we're, we're happy to be able to do it live again uh, because there is a value to these individuals, often many of them returning to Barrie uh, to receive the honour and the unveiling of their portrait and hanging it on, uh, you know, at Allendale. Many, many people, most of them really don't expect anything like that from a local you know, from their local community, but the the second part of it is really the kickstart. I'm looking for some new energy, some new ideas uh, from business, the business community, our sponsors, uh, past members of what they what they see the hall in the future. Uh, it's it's it has value. Certainly has value with the city uh, in terms of. Um, it's a it's a community that that has developed excellence in you know in sports national provincial uh, international you know competitors year after year so it it's the sporting community in, in per se has an understanding needs to have that understanding of uh, who you know where they came from and where where they're going and that they're that they're valued here in in, in the city.
0: The Hall's newest members were inducted this week. They include Dave Mills and Paul Marley, who have been involved with the Barry Baycats since their inception in 1999, Gary Goodridge, who came to Barry from Trinidad and Tobago in 1973, winning arm wrestling and boxing championships, and Martin Carl, who coached high school girls hockey and slow pitch, took the Eastview Boys football team to a provincial championship and established the Kempenfelt Cup, bringing teams from five local high schools together for a day of hockey every year at Christmas. Congratulations to all. And we are done for another week. Thanks to Ian, MJ, Will, and Rock 95's Rachel Detta for their contributions, and to Matt Ladder for putting it all together. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to What Barry's Talking About, rate it, review it. You can also keep up with What Barry's Talking About on Facebook and Twitter at Barry360, and on our website, barry360.com. I'm Dan Blakely. We're back again next week with more of What Barry's Talking About.